Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're having an outstanding Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? Welcome to the show. Let me get my, uh, my stuff all set up. I'm going to go like uh, this. I'll get to that in a moment. Welcome to the Break the Cycle with DSD podcast. I am your host, Dwayne. I'm not a therapist. I'm an individual much like you who has been through a traumatic experience. And over the course of the eight, I was looking at it before, it's just over nine years, I've developed some tips and techniques that I share with you to help you get your life back, break the cycle of emotional abuse, minimize the damage of a toxic ex, and if you have kids, to strengthen the relationship and attempt to try to undo some of the damage that has happened. Remember, only a licensed professional in a clinical environment can diagnose an individual with a personality disorder, so be careful, be careful. Be cautious of throwing around medical terms because it isn't going to help you. The last thing you need to do is hurt your credibility and going around and and acting like a a mental health professional because of your internet degree is not going to help you. Focus on patterns of behaviors. Work with a good attorney, which will be our guest later today, to, to help you craft your case and your message so that you don't hurt your credibility and you can get the point across. If you like what's going on here and you want to support the channel, you can do that by becoming a channel member. And when you do, uh, you get special badges, custom emojis, names listed in the credits, and access to member-only events. To find out more, just go to youtube.com slash divorce and look for the join button. Um, if you want to text notifications so when shows go out, you can do that by texting DSD Live to 844 598 844-598-0012. And I am not, since we have an interview, I am not going to have a, uh, the call-in thing going on today. But if you want to participate and ask questions, tag me, do at DSD, put a cue in front of it, and we will try to get through it during this show. So on that, I'm just going to, let's see here, hit all the correct buttons and get everything back on track and get to our guest. But uh, who we have on with us today is, let me do this uh, this way. Hold on, I click, click the right button. Is Melissa Isaac from the Isaac Law Firm, which they're based out of Montgomery, Alabama. She focuses on uh, men's issues in family court to make sure that they get the, I guess, the best of a, <laughs> of a potentially raw deal. So I'm going to bring, uh, bring Melissa on right now. So good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for joining us today. I, like I really your, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said, the, the best of a, of a potentially raw deal. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, that's we, we, we um, plan for the worst, hope for the best and, you know, fight like hell in the meantime. So but yeah, I, th- <laughs> I like the way you phrase that, actually. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. So, so first, let me just, uh, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be a lot of attorneys that are based on on men's issues especially female attorneys. I mean, that's, that's unique. I know I have interviewed uh, one other firm that's, that's touted that they were primarily focused on men. But uh, let me ask you this. So what, how, what, how did that come about? I mean, I know there's a story behind it, but what, what prompted you to go into this area of law and to focus on these particular issues? Well, I think that goes from the way I grew up. I grew up with an a alienating mom. And it always surprised me, even at a very young age, how whatever she said was taken as gospel. You know, I don't, she's not even five feet tall, and my dad is, you know, six foot four. And every time she would say something, people would just believe her and coddle her. And if my dad spoke up and told the truth, it was like he was just this villain automatically. You know, he was this big guy. Um, he, you know, was a Vietnam veteran. I was a fireman. He's, you know, he's a man's man. And um, everything he said just went went by the wayside. So it always puzzled me how some how women could go in, tell a lie, and no one questions her. So that that you know, from a young age, I've always had that. Um, I've always had that. It just always puzzled me how women could get away with it. Because not just her. I mean, you know, these these women like her tend to run in groups. They don't keep friends very long, but they tend to run in groups. And it was her friends were like that too. Um, so is the, the company she kept, but it always puzzled me and, you know, even growing up through, through high school and even younger than that, when I started speaking out against her, it would say, oh, well, she's just, um, she's brainwashed by her dad. Well, how the heck can you be brainwashed by someone who you never see or rarely get to see? So there was just so much going on that was so unfair, um, that at a young age, I thought about being an attorney, but I, um, when I got out of the army, 
I was a child therapist and I had my GI Bill and I said, well, it's now or never. And I saw it even within the field of psychology, how biased therapists wow. were and how biased, you know, these, these doctors were, these moms could come in and say anything. And I swear they would just take it as gospel. So, but anyway, that's long, that's a short version of how I got into, to, and got into this. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, cause it's, it, it's, you know, so many people go through this and I mean, for you to, 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 to see it, to be, be under the, the thumb of an alienator, but to be able to, to see through it and maintain your voice. I mean, so often I hear from so many people whose kids, j- just to save themselves, they shut up. They don't say anything. I mean, they wouldn't even put themselves out there the way you mentioned you did just because, you know, you just get to the point that you're trying to survive. So for you to have that and then to turn around and, and make something positive out of it, is uh, is phenomenal. So thank you for that. Thank you for your service. I'm an Air Force vet, so uh, okay. <laughs> that's military is a is a is a great experience. At least I enjoyed it. Maybe I don't know how you you I, did, but I did. It, it was the best thing I ever did. I, I loved it. Best thing I ever did. I'm in the guard now, so serving on a very part time basis. Oh, there you. Oh, awesome. I'm a, okay. A patriot. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this. So uh, you know, a lot of people who are on my channel show. Uh, I mean, they. They're either in the early part of their situation and they're going through that phase where they feel like they've just been hit by a truck. You know, the false allegations like we were just talking about are coming out there. What's one of the first things you would recommend a person to do? I mean, even before they're ready to, I mean, even before they get to hiring an attorney, what do they need to start doing to protect themselves? First thing, you need to disengage. Other than the bare minimum communication, if you have children, I know you have to communicate about your kids, but really disengage. These false accusers, they're looking to twist anything you say and anything you do, and they're really pretty good at, at pushing your buttons. Yeah. And we're, we're emotional human beings, and anytime anybody lies about us, we're going to get upset, and reasonably so. Um, but those emotions are used against you. What I tell men all the time is emotions lose cases for men. Emotions win cases for women with very, very few exceptions. That's how it is. Because think of how men usually portray emotions. When men get upset, they generally don't just start crying. It usually manifests itself through frustration, which can look like anger. Well, then they take that and they twist that and repackage it and say, see, I told you, judge, I, you know, he's abusive. Look at this anger. They can't, he can't even control his anger when I'm just calling to ask for milk for the baby, right? My mother did that all the time. She would call wow. and gaslight my dad and say, well, I, you know, and then she would tell us later, well, I called your dad to get some milk just so I could give you girls some milk. And I don't know why, but he just told me he hated me and hoped I'd you know, something happened to me and, and he didn't care about you girls. So everything is twisted and manipulated. So what I would say is disengage to the extent possible. Communicate in text if you can. Yeah. But keep keep them off the phone. Stay off the phone because the last place you want to be in court is a he said, she said situation. Because in my experience, women are better actors than men are. And they can go in the courtroom and they can turn on the tears. And I, well, we all know this domestic violence has become an industry, right? And it's yeah. very little to do with with protecting women and children is which the narrative is. So when you go into the courtroom, there's so many programs for abused women and children that they go in the courtroom, twist what was said, repackage it, and they're coddled and given all these amenities and resources and you're left hanging out to dry. So first thing I would do, disengage to the to the biggest extent, the largest extent you can. Because, and I like what you said to beginning, is coming in, careful throwing around these labels. Well, they're yeah. narcissistic. There's a sociopath. Um, because these are these are medical terms and um, there's defamation lawsuits that are starting to be filed against people who throw these these names around and they're gonna be used towards you, they're gonna be thrown your way. You guys don't don't react, don't retaliate. Um, but don't use those terms because uh, trust me when I say they're overused in court. Oh, they're overused in court. They're all over in text messages. But really, and if but if you are truly dealing with somebody with a personality disorder, the best thing you can do is disengage. I'm telling you because they want they want you to engage. Right? That proximity is power, and stay away from them to the the biggest extent that you can because that's when you see people getting into trouble. 
Yeah, oh yeah. And I, I and it's the crazy part about it is they don't have to necessarily win an argument. The winning is just getting you to respond and react. I mean, even exactly. even if you're able to respond in a way and you definitively prove your case, the you still lose because that's what they wanted was your reaction. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy. Now, it's interesting you bring up the fact that people are starting to to sue people for defamation on throwing these terms around. Is that happening? I mean, is that being litigated in as in a not not family court, but I guess that would be civil court. Is I mean, are people actually going down that route and is that being successful or or Yeah. People are now starting to go down that route and I think they're doing that because family court won't address these issues. So yeah. You know, I asked a judge one time, I said, so, you know, you, we prove perjury. You have a dad that comes in here, proves perjury, but yet you do nothing about it. So doesn't that encourage perjury? Doesn't it encourage false allegations? And she was like, well, what we do is is we just say in the order, it, it really, we didn't find the mom credible, and it usually comes out in our ruling. Well, no, I don't see that. I, I disagree with her. I don't yeah. see that. Because false allegations... I, in my experience, I think the lawyers encourage false allegations. The lawyers definitely encourage um, contentious litigation because that's how they make money. Right. Um, but no, you, you know, and, and some courts are, are divorce courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. And some courts say, well, you know, we, we don't handle that here. But you got to be careful, too. It's a double-edged sword because there's a legal term. It's called res judicata. And res judicata is kind of like double jeopardy in the civil world where you can't bring the same claim twice. So too many people try to litigate a claim for perjury in the domestic relations court. And the judges kind of snub their nose and say, no, no, we're not going to deal with this. So they try to bring up in over in another court, and they're like, oh, well, res judicata already applied because you brought it up in an earlier proceeding. Oh. So it's it's a double-edged sword, but yes, more people are starting to do it because you know the family court has such a bad reputation, and it's the reputation is getting worse because of shows like yours, where people are coming out and say, "Wait a minute, this isn't fair. This is a rigged, biased system." We hear that all the time. Right. So some of the judges are under heat. You know, they're they're and so. I've had judges that say, okay, you know what, I'm going to start from a 50-50 place, and they're actually entering some of their temporary orders as a you know, 50-50 versus everything goes to mom, which historically how it always has been. So things are getting better. I think there's change on the horizon. It's very slow. It's not as fast as you, all of us want it to be, yeah. but it's coming, and I think that's because, too, people are sick and tired of getting screwed over, so they're looking at other means to you know, to address the inequities. No, that's, it's, it's, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I've been going through this for, for over nine years. And I mean, even looking through like with what happened with my own father, things are better, but it is taking a just tremendous amount of time to make progress. And it's just, it's so sad of the people who are, I mean, are the collateral damage that is left in the wake of all this. I mean, there's so many lives that are being at least affected, if not destroyed, as a result of all this. With, without a doubt. I think just the, the, I have two sisters, and the way that we, well, the environment that we grew up in coming up, I mean, it's, it has yeah. lifelong effects. And I'm oh, not, absolutely. You, you know, you can, you know, there, there's people there's men that come in here all the time and then their fifties and their sixties and they talk about how they're still dealing with what happened when they were, were growing up. And a lot of men in their thirties and forties are coming in saying, look, you know, I'm, I, I just, I can't have what happened to me and my parents divorce divorce happened to my kids. So, you know, this is something that's generational. And a lot of parents say, and less professionals are saying this now than they used to be, but they say, oh, kids are resilient. They'll bounce back, you know, no worries. Well, now we know that that's not the case. And there's so much research out there showing, you're giving a definition for the best interest of the child, right? Because there really is no definition. I mean, it's sort of this, you know, arbitrary misnomer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, but we have the research out there and more judges are educating themselves, but we have to get away from this old Duluth model type of, oh yeah, um, all men are bad, all men are predisposed to abuse. And if a woman abuses a man, well, it's still his fault. He must have done something to warrant that. So we still have to get out of that old mindset. Let me ask you this. Somebody, I'm going to see if I can pull this up on the screen. Uh, said, we said, uh, are there noted case laws about narcs and or emotional psychological 
abuse and also bless our vets. So thanks, Tiff, for that. Uh, and I just want to dovetail with that is are the court systems and the attorneys and the judges starting to recognize the effects of this and the effects of the psychological and emotional abuse that's happening? I mean, you kind of, you kind of hinted on it and, and you're saying people are recognizing it, but is our, I guess the question is, is are things starting to change as a result of that? So yes and no. So, um, you know, Judges are ordering more mental health professionals in these cases. They're ordering more testing for parents, and they're ordering, um, you know, therapy, kids go to therapy, which you think, well, that's a good thing. That's good because we have mental health professionals involved. It would be good, but the problem is they're not trained. Yeah. They're, uh, they are ill-equipped to deal with parental alienation or these alienating behaviors. They can't because they're not trained in that. When I went through, when I got my master's degree in counseling, that, was, that never came up. It was never never brought up. So I have these counselors come to court, and usually, this is usually how it is, moms get there first. So you have this cognitive dissonance that sets in where dad, they, they, just, they just bash dad and badmouth dad. So by the time dad gets to go to talk to the counselor, the counselor already has this preconceived notion about how dad is and sort of kind of already sides with mom. But to date, I have never, to date, never had a therapist withstand a cross-examination about parental alienation because they don't know what it is. They can't even define it. So, and I ask them, have you had any training in parental alienation or behaviors of parental alienation? The question's usually, well, yes. I say, well, tell me about that training. Well, then I get deer in the headlights. <laughs> they say, well, you know, and one, one expert, right? She said, well, I said, do you know what parental alienation is? She said, yes. And I said, well, define it for me. And she sat there quiet. And she actually said, well, if you give me the definition, I could probably tell you if I know what it is or not. So that was this, and she was an expert, right? Oh so that's the problem God. is that they, they, you know, they can't pick up on, I ask about coaching. How do you know if a child is coached? Okay. Well, the kids say, my mom told me to say, or my dad told me to say, no, no it's that's not, not that black and white. Yeah. It just doesn't happen that way. So when I was a child therapist, I would see this pattern. I worked in a private practice for a child psychiatrist, and I also worked in an inpatient residential um, psychiatric hospital for kids. And I see this pattern. The pattern is bad moms and absent dads. That's the pattern. The problem is, is the moms would come in and they, every, you know, let's say little Joey, everything's little Joey's fault. Oh, you know, he's just impulsive and he, he threatens me and he hurts animals. And there's all these horrible things where, you know, I think little Joey needs to stay here and get pumped up full of medicine, which by the way, that's what they do. Okay. You know, yeah. Especially in these acute units, you really can't do much therapy in two weeks and then send it back to the same environment. But you know, then come to find out, oh, mom has boyfriends in and out of the house. Yeah. Mom doesn't have food in the house. Mom's gone for days at a time. There's drugs in the house. But yet this child is identified as the problem. And there's even been a couple cases where we tr actually tracked down the father and the father said, I have no idea where my child was. Thank you for calling me. I had no idea. But yet mom is saying, oh, I, you know, dad left. Dad told me he wants nothing to do with this child. So... But that's the problem is there's no really investigations behind the causes of what's going on. We just want to label it and we want to, you know, give them medication. But if we can label it and identify what the problem is, we tend to run with that and just go forward. So even though it sounds good, okay, well, you know, we've got these mental health professionals stepping in the courtroom. Mm -mm. I have not found that to be helpful. I haven't found it to be a good thing because they're not experts where they need to be experts. They're not, they're not really qualified and then you look at right who's paying the the psychologist yeah sometimes dad can't afford to pay because he's paying such a high child support and alimony amount and so mom's paying the psychologist or mom's family step up in pain and then it becomes well i've made several calls to him um, about his bill and he's not paying his bill and so it, be, it becomes something that it should not even be so all of that said i don't want to get on soapbox but i'm not a fan of of mental health professionals within the courts because they don't know what they're doing typically. Um, so, but I think back to the original question, are the courts starting to recognize that personality disorders and maybe narcissistic disorders, that is a problem they are and they're ordering testing. So okay. you, know, you can get a psychological examination, get an MMPI, and they're pretty gosh darn accurate. Um, but the problem is, it's that information goes into the hands of people who maybe 
um, it shouldn't, and then sometimes you know it gets lost in the shuffle. No, that's a that's a good point. Uh, you you brought up a good or a a point that I experienced myself, like with my kids' therapist back in the day, that uh, whenever the issue of personality disorders came up for me, <clears throat> excuse me, from in my situation. It was my therapist who had been working with. She didn't diagnose my ex, but she's like, look, you know, I don't, I've only talked, I've only, you know, I, I don't, it's like, I think I, she only talked to my ex once. And she's like, I've worked with you for a couple of years. I'm not diagnosing your ex, but I think she probably has MPD. And uh, uh, when I had talked to my kid's therapist and I said, well, because it was one of those things where it's like, you know, something had happened and, and the therapist said to me, well, why do you think she's doing that? And I, and I just, you know, like NPD comorbid, you know, per, you know, yada, 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 yada. And she looked at me with the deer in her headlights and I figured, oh, okay, well, I probably just crossed the line because I'm throwing out terms and come to find out it was because she had no idea what I was talking about. So fortunately in my situation, my therapist and her were, were colleagues. So they ultimately talked and then my kid's therapist took a class. And now as an expert on narcissism and personality disorders. And I'm like, oh, dear God, give me a break. So I, it's just, yeah, it's frustrating. So let me ask you this. So if you are dealing with that, and, and that's a risky move to try to bring professionals in, how do you recommend somebody? I mean, so like if I came into you and I'm like, hey, my ex has all these traits, or let's say I don't even know, you know, let's say I'm just the typical, I would assume, you're not crazy, but uh, completely stressed out client. And I'm and I come in and I'm like, oh my God, my ex is a psychopath. You know, she acts like a four-year-old. I can't talk to her. She's crazy. Or I even come in and I say she's you know she's bipolar or whatever. Um, what's the way forward to really have some success on that and drill down into what's really going on? So what you want to understand first is that the courts here all the time. They're experiencing. They're showing erratic behavior. Um, you know, they're unstable. The courts hear that from everybody all the time and it's not really persuasive. So to be okay. persuasive, you can detail what specific behaviors you're seeing. Because again, you know, pleadings don't have to be real specific. You know, you plead for, for divorce, you can just say that, you know, moms do this all the time. Mom pleads that she's the fit and proper person to exercise soul custody over the kids, that dad is erratic, um, has anger issues, and has been verbally abusive and controlling. Okay, so, and it tells you really nothing. So when, when these men come in and they say, well, you know, she's, kind of give me a vague, um, you know, a definition. You know, she, she's crazy, uh, she's controlling, and so they say, well, how is she crazy? Well, and they go into detail, okay? So, you know, I, I came home from work, she was out on the front porch, and as soon as I walked up and got out of my car, and you guys, this happens, I'm sure your listeners are well aware. As soon as I got out of the car and got in, you know, she pointed a gun at me and said, oh. you either go get me some beer or I'm going to kill you, right? So specific things like that. Holy and cow. If you, get, if you put, yeah, if you put, you know, more specific things in there, the judge can say, okay, so what, you know, you, you have to define really what is, you know, un unstable. And also if you can tie the behaviors into how they're affecting the safety and welfare of the children, the courts tend to, to act a little quicker, right? Um, and I don't know the laws in every state of your listeners, so if your state allows for recording, whether it be audio recording or video recording, record everything. I say, like in Alabama, we can record. So I tell my clients here, record every interaction. There should be no contact between the two of you that's not documented, either a audio recording, a video recording, a text message, an email, something. If they call, the entire phone call should be recorded from the time you say hello to the time you hang up. Because again, understand that what the, the horrible part about family court is because you're in a he said, she said. Yeah. You could sit and litigate a he said, she said for days, right? And the judge is sitting there like, oh, I don't know her, I don't know him, I don't know, I don't know. So in my experience, what the judges do is they, tend, they err on the side of caution and say, okay, look, I don't know, custody to mom, dad, you pay child support. So let's go back to a he said, she said situation. Wife gets up on the stand and said, you know, you know, he, he called me on December 1st. Um, he called me a bitch. He told me that I was a horrible person. He said he was going to um, come and get the children and take them. I was never going to see the kids again. And, and judge, I need full custody. I want him on supervised visitation. Well, dad gets up on the stand and says, actually, no, I called on December 1st. 
Um, she, you know, cursed me out, told me I was never going to see the kids. And if I tried to come over, she'd call the police and have me arrested. Right. Right. So and then then, well, you, you know, you have a recording, right? Oh, what yeah. just happened? What just happened? That issue is done. That mom has been discredited. So, and which helps you going forward because even some of my best clients, they, they, they can't quite get everything or we as attorneys would like to have everything. Yeah. But if you can get enough evidence to discredit what they're saying and take that he said, she said off the table, number one, you're going to save yourself a ton of heartache. You might save yourself subsequent litigation, right? right. Because they might know, okay, I'm not going to go back to this judge knows I'm a liar. But um, you save yourself money and you save yourself time. And hopefully, which is the goal in all this, you save your relationship with your kids. That's the most important thing. So document, document, document. Get witnesses. If your state doesn't allow recording, then make sure you don't have any communication with her without someone being there. Put on speakerphone if you have a conversation. If you go to pick up your kids for exchanges, have somebody with you. But there should be, what I tell my clients is everything you say, we should hopefully be able to prove, right? If not a recording, a text message, a document, a picture, or a witness, some something to back up every statement that you're making. Because unfortunately, you guys, we, we all know there's a double standard. The double standard is, is obvious. So what I find is we have to do 10 times the work that mom's attorney has to do just to get a fair result. Not to clean house, just to get a fair result. So, you know, you have to, unfortunately, it's, you know, the process is slow of change, but until we can get things changed, you just have to swallow that giant pill that is that double standard, work within that to try to get the best results you can. I, I like how you put that because it sure felt like that. It sure felt like it was a bitter pill. It's like, why in the world am I the one having to jump through all the flaming hoops, dodge all the arrows and the spears, and the other person is just flawlessing around, you know, having a, a, a little great time. I want to roll into, this is a question that that came up uh, from one of the viewers, and it says, uh, what is the best way to defend yourself against a silver bullet? So, and I think what he's talking about, and maybe you could define it more, but I guess, uh, well, let me ask you this. What what do you consider the silver bullet? I hear that term a lot. What does that mean? And the silver bullet usually is false allegations, and there's usually some sort of sexual misconduct. That's the silver bullet right there that can take you to your knees. But false allegations of abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, or sexual um, in nature, it's all, it, may, it complicates, complicates your case. So other than what we were talking about before is document, don't be alone with them. You know, there's probably red flags that you've seen during your relationship that you've ignored. So I had a guy come in and he saw these red flags during his marriage. So he started recording, about, I would say, about a year before we even entered into litigation, before he even talked to an attorney. So when, she, when the silver bullet hit, he, was, he already had all the evidence. He already had everything he needed and, you know, to refute the silver bullet. So, you know, that's so awesome. anyway, but that, that, that's what I think the silver bullet is, is it's usually allegations of sexual um, misconduct. Usually sometimes it could be against the kids. And let me tell you, you guys, that is those judges err on the side of caution when it comes to sexual allegations of um, like molestation or sexual abuse of your kids, because you're, you're, you're down to a he said, she said. So yeah. what usually happens then is that the allegations are made and there's some sort of protective order put into place where you can't see your kids talk to them, nothing. And if you're dealing with little kids, then you got some brainwashing from the time that you, we can yeah. actually get the reports and see what they're saying. But when you're removed and that parent is there brainwashing, oh my gosh, it's I, I, I'm, I don't know how many there are, but I, I'm convinced there's countless men in prison because children were actually brainwashed to say that they were raped or they were sexually abused yeah. or whatnot. And again, the, the courts err on the side of caution and nobody wants to be that judge that you know didn't protect a kid, and then something happened, and it affects their ability to get reelected. Right, right. It comes down to that. But um, other than what we talked about before, as soon as you see red flags within your relationship, you you, you got to start documenting or get the heck out of there. You got and see how they've treated their pre- prior husbands, prior boyfriends. This is always a red flag for me when guys come in and they say. You know, they have a restraining order against them because they there's allegations of abuse. 
and they say, you know, I just don't understand. You know, I mean, I was so good to her. Her first three husbands beat her, nearly killed her, and and did all these things to her. And I look and say, well, well, looky here. Now, now you're that guy. Yeah. And you know, and then in the conversation where they say, gosh, I'm starting to think maybe maybe the first three guys didn't do all that stuff. So, you know, it's not about. You know, they, they, then people say, "Oh, you're just you're you're victim shaming." I'm not victim shaming. Look, I I I grew up around women who lie to to get what they want to get their way. It was, I despised it then, and I despise it till this day. But there are certain patterns. When you recognize these patterns, you have to don't ignore it, you guys. And so, you know, when you're dealing with with the silver bullet, and the silver bullet usually hits when you're not expecting it. Oh yeah. I mean, they 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 shoot when you you. You know, they shoot that silver bullet when, when you're turned around and you get hit in the back. And you know how that works. Um, so don't engage, okay? And a lot of times women will reach out to you and say, look, you know, I, I don't know if this, you know, really happened or let's talk about this. You guys don't, don't, don't go stay around Stay away them. from them, right? Don't go around them. Stay away. Gosh, stay away. If they're, if they're making, you know, career-ending um, freedom ending. So in, in some instance, freedom ending allegations against yeah. you. They take away all your liberty. You stay away from them. Stay away. I had a. Um, and so, but but yes, yeah, so that that would be my advice. No, thanks. I thanks for that. I, for clarifying it. I had a client who a coaching client who was dealing with that, where his ex made an allegation against his five year old son, and it was investigated. Uh, they would initially were going to dismiss it. And then the mom called back and said something else, which then protective services had to re-engage. And I don't know what it was that it was specifically said. And then law enforcement finally got involved and everyone from the law enforcement to the, to the CPS, to the child's therapist, all thought it was BS. And as soon as they said, Nope, you know, okay, we cleared this out. He gets visitation again. Then she came out and said that he molested their three-year-old daughter Mm -hmm. you know and i mean the only good part about it is is that it's destroying her credibility and the guy was doing very well emotionally i mean i think that's part of the problem is is that when you get involved in those situations when you if you start to freak out and and which you have every i mean who wouldn't freak out right Mm -hmm. uh you start making not decisions but your reactions start to undermine your own potential for success but he was ultimately able. Everyone saw through it. Uh, he's still. It's still going on. The so. But the, what I mean is, is, I'm assuming the outcome is going to be a custody change, because everybody from even the ju- I mean, everybody involved is starting to realize that it's BS. But, but I, you know, so many times, it's, like you said, it goes on the other way, or people just like, well, we'll just err on the side of caution, and you know, your your life yeah, is destroyed. And, and- the kid's life is destroyed. Yep. And then you get with the wrong advocate or wrong, um, you know, lawyer, and there's, you know, they say, look, we're just going to go ahead to just, just let's just plead, let's just plead to something, oh, God. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, you'll get you, we you get it, you know, taken off your record in a couple of years, and hopefully you can just get it every other weekend. I mean, I've had attorneys say, Melissa, like we got, we have all of this. I'm like, you have all of that, but you have zero proof. Anybody can make allegations. Allegations are not evidence. So, but too many attorneys get intimidated when they see CPS over there and they see victim as advocates over there. Even if it's you and your lawyer on one side and the courtroom is stacked on the other side, hey, listen, get in there and you swing for the fences. If you didn't oh, do yeah. it, you don't say you did it, okay? Because a lot of times this is, it's just leverage, right? Because they right. want to get their way. So I had a, a client um, and the, you know, I'm a huge advocate of 50-50 um, parenting. But I had a client where the mother was, her behaviors were such where we, we got full custody. And oh, to nice. where she signed over, her, her attorney even recommended, look, you need to sign over full custody. And I told him, you stay away from her. You don't stop recording. You don't stop taking witnesses with you. Yeah. She's going, I'm telling you, she's going to plot, get, you know, get this child back. So it was about two years later, I get a call and he's oh, like, no. I let my guard down. I let my guard down. You were right. And what she did was she seduced him. <gasps> No. They had consensual sex, right? And then she called and screamed rape. So, but oh. her her offer to him was, well, you just sign the you know, sign the baby over to me. And he was about three years old at this point. You just sign our son over to me, and I'll I'll dismiss the charges. So, and I I don't do criminal work, so I was not his attorney on that case. And so that's that's what he did. 
That's no. what he did. And then last year, all right, because oh, she no. implodes. That's what she does. We got the, the child back last year. But that aside, you guys understand that, in my experience, right, I just wow. don't think leopards don't change their spots. I just don't think that they do. So when you see a pattern emerge, don't just think, well, I'm just going to kind of lay low. I'm just going to kind of, you know, keep my head down and hope that you don't get hit. Because in my experience, eventually, you know, the, the guns are going to turn on you eventually. You know, it, it's amazing you mentioned that. And, and I think the hard part for for I'll say normal people maybe that's you know not a politically correct but but you don't want to believe people are like this and and I know for me I had like what you just said and I didn't have anything to that to that extent but I had to basically say well okay I'll be a little funny she's a demon she's always going to be this way I can never ever 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 you know let my guard down because and it's so well because of what you just said and the reality is, is it's so hard to do, right? Because you don't, you don't want to go around being, well, effectively paranoid. And, and you can have that mindset to where you're protecting yourself, not in a paranoid state. It just takes some practice. But, mm-hmm. but like you said, once somebody shows you who they are, you have to believe them. I can't, man, when you said that, I, you're making my eye twitch. I just, when you said that, I'm like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. You know, and that went, so mm-hmm. she actually pushed it to criminal, right? I mean, so he had a criminal sure. case going on. That is... That's terrible. That is, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, well, I, I'm assuming at that point he's learned his lesson, huh? Oh, he's learned his lesson now. But that, you know, I want you guys to understand, your, your male followers to understand that for women anyway, proximity is power for women, right? And generally someone who you love and you're vulnerable to, proximity is power. So, so many times women will make allegations and we have we have strict rules with our clients okay these are things you absolutely don't do these are things that you absolutely need to do and it's hard because when you're emotionally attached right. you can't always do the absolutely do not do this but women will call and they'll say you know i just i, I really think we need to talk in person okay no you can talk over text talk on the phone don't let them in your physical proximity because proximity is power okay so this person who's who's trying to destroy your life mm-hmm. then will come into your house knowing you're you're emotionally vulnerable okay might you know run her hand and maybe down your chest and i just we have so many good years together and i hate to end on this note or whatnot right look guys in my experience has peer manipulation and so you first of all need to understand and just acknowledge that you're vulnerable and when we're vulnerable we do things that we shouldn't do and, and we don't take advice and it backfires in our face, especially in litigation. So proximity is power for women. So keep them out of your physical proximity, especially if you're vulnerable. And you guys are going to have to rely on, on other people who have your best interests yeah. at heart. Um, because I can t- and, and they, they probably told you over the years, too. I, they, they've been telling me. They've been telling me, watch for it, wait for it. It's coming. I didn't believe them. And I didn't protect myself. And then you end up in a, in a really bad situation. No, it's funny you mentioned that, that last part because I've had so many conversations. I mean, I was in a 20, 20 or two-decade-year marriage. And, and I've been divorced for, I think it's eight years, separated nine. I mean, so it's been, it's been a while. I have to look at the dates every once in a while to make sure what the timeline is. But, but to a T, everyone I've talked to that knew us from even 20 years, I mean, from the beginning part of the, of the relationship – said, yeah, something was wrong with her. You know, I mean, something just wasn't right. I was talking to a friend of mine I used to work with 15 years ago, and he was just like, yeah, the first time I met her, I was like, oh, man, you're in a bad situation. But when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it. And and now the other thing I just want to dovetail on is when you were talking about the proximity and them wanting to talk, what you said was exactly what my ex said. Because I got to the point when the false allegations started coming out, uh, actually I freaked out. I'm, I told my attorney, I'm like, I ain't going nowhere near there. I'm standing, you know, if I'm done and he's like, calm down, you have to go try to get your kids. If you don't, they're going to say that you don't care. So show up, even though, you know, all this crap is happening, show up at your designated time. She's not going to be there, but just be there, make a call, you know, do everything you're supposed to do. And uh, luckily he talked me off the ledge, so to speak there. But, uh, after that, I was like, I'm only taught, you know, it's text or email. And she was like, well, I will only talk to you in person. And I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be anywhere near you because I was afraid of, you know, my career. I'm still associated with DOD. So, you know, there's not much that can ruin your ability to continue to work, right? So I was worried about that. I was worried about going, you know, getting arrested. 
Potentially. Yeah. Anyways, I, I, I digress on that. Anything you want to add before we move on? Because then I have another topic I want to hit. No, no. Go ahead. We can move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the next thing is, is Techmore says, bring up Title D. Uh, so do you have an opinion on Title D and how that is affecting uh, family court and this entire mess? Yeah. So Title D is the financial incentive for the courts to usually strip custody from dads and give it to moms because dads pay more child support, right? Right. And dads are the ones who usually pay child support, even though the, it's, it's changing that moms are starting to make more money too. Dads, you know, generally historically are the ones that are the breadwinners. They pay more money because what people don't realize is the state gets matching funds just from collecting child support. So, you know, it, so when, when Title IV-D went into effect, all these little child support enforcement agencies start popping up all over. And so if you go back and look at the original intent of Title IV-D, um, of course, everything's political, but that's, I think, where they coined the, the, the phrase like deadbeat dad. Right. So that the federal government wanted to incentivize the states of collecting child support from these these deadbeat dads. So child support enforcement agencies pop up, and all of a sudden, like in Alabama, you know, the laws change to where you have to pay your child support to the child support enforcement um, uh, agency, and they disperse it out. Because if for every dollar the state collects to disperse out on child support, the federal government reimburses them sixty six cents. But if the, the mother's getting like welfare or TANF or, you know, other sort of social benefits, then they get more than that. They can get up to, I think it is $5 on the dollar for every dollar they collect. Wow. So child support is business and it's very little to do with, with supporting kids and the best interests of children. Because if, if it really was about what's best for kids, then we would have shared parenting. The research been, it, we have it, it's been there, they're ignoring it. So, yeah, so it, the child support has become the big business. It's a money-making industry. And so as the judges strip custody away from dads and relegate them to visitors, the state is actually making money off of that child support award. It's a conflict of interest because the Title IV-D money, to my knowledge, is also used to fund the courts. So pay raises, retirements, whatever the case may wow. be, there's a huge conflict of interest. So, yes, child support big business in the United States. Huge. Is that the reason why uh, uh, presumptive 50-50 is so, is being fought so much, so hardly or, or, it, or yeah? In my opinion, it, absolutely. Because if you go to a 50-50 situation, if the parents make generally around the same amount of money, there's no child support. Or if one parent does make more than the other, there's, there's a smaller amount of child support paid, which means that the state doesn't get all that income. So yes, in, in my opinion, it is financially incentivized not only women, because women are the recipients of, overwhelmingly the recipients of child support, but it's financially incentivized the judicial system as well as the legislators um, to, to shy away from shared parenting because they know that this money is coming in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so destructive. I mean, I, I was thinking about it. I mean, when I talked to, uh, to Mark Ludwig, uh, a couple years ago about his efforts on shared parenting. And I was just thinking about it in my situation. If, if we would have, when we went to court, if it would have been 50, you know, it's like, okay, there's not any real allegation, you know, there's no real, there, you know, I haven't been arrested. There's no, you know, substantial issue. And it was like, boom, 50, 50. And we'll figure it out from there. It would have been a completely different story. I mean, it still would have been a mm -hmm. crap show, but you know, the, the support and everything would have been different. And, and just to throw out there, I mean, most people who are watching this probably know this, but a lot of people have the misnomer that, oh, if you get 50-50, you don't pay anything. Well, I'm still paying, you know, I got 50-50 and I'm paying a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And, but it would have made a, it would have made a huge, huge difference. I, I hope that we get to the point where that's where it, where it happens. I mean, just, you know, so that way, if someone's trying to be abusive, then it's on their dime. They're trying to, to destroy the situation, you know, and, and they're having to go back to court and pay it. But it's, it's so wrong and sad when some, I mean, I had a pretty good outcome, but for me to have to battle to be in my kids' yeah. lives and to, to prevent her from just basically moving out of state and to never see my kids again, that's just wrong. I mean, and it's, it's just wrong. There's no question in that one. I guess that's just a statement. 
Yeah, it's and it's set up that way. You have so many people making money off of the destruction of families. Yeah. And you've got judges, of course, who are drawing the income. You've got court staff. You have okay, lawyers who are making a lot of money out there. Guardian items, um, court appointed, you know, court uh, custody evaluators, therapists. Um, you you name it. It, it, it. So many people are making money, um, and you, you look at the the divorce industry or the family law industry. There shouldn't there shouldn't be any rich people in that industry, should yeah. there? And I know attorneys who are friends with like mortgage lenders who will send people or send their clients, send their clients' parents to the mortgage lender so they can take all the equity out of their house so they can pay their their legal fees. So it's um how do you, and you think you know you're just you. The, the that's just evil too, such, you know. I mean, that's just it's wrong. evil. The state has should have such an interest in keeping families together, right? The, the intact family unit is a strong, stable unit. But yet our laws are all anti-family. Our legislators don't want to touch the issue because really they're afraid of, a lot more afraid of losing the the, the woman vote, the feminist right. vote, right? Because it's a very powerful lobby. So you mentioned uh, guardian ad litems, gals, um, and I've had a few people during while we were talking keep asking, you know, ask her about gals. So what's your opinion on that? And if you're in a if someone's in a situation and someone is recommending that, are they a good thing? Are they a bad thing? Is it is it a hot potato? I mean, wh what's your opinion on on guardian ad litems? So my opinion is that they're pretty worthless, and they're ill trained. Um, and I know in Alabama you have to be an attorney, and that's the only qualification to be a GAL. So it's very rare that I ever request a GAL. And if I request one, it's because it is so obvious. And I probably don't trust the judge to do the right thing. But it's so obvious at that point, um, the detriment to the to the child, if we don't, if, if the judge doesn't grant us the relief we're asking for. But now they're, they're, I've heard of guardian litems, you know, they don't they don't do anything. So they, they, they talk to the kids, they talk to the parents, they talk to the dad. They're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I talk to the kids and, you know, they... Let me ask you this, just for... Because I, I, I know it's a term I've heard, but just what exactly is a gal? I mean, what, what, is, what exactly does that mean? If, if, if you have a, so, a GAL in your case, what, what do they do and what are they supposed to do? So in most states, a guardian ad litem represents the best interests of the child. I know Florida has attorney ad litems that represent the legal interest of a child, but a guardian ad litem represents the best interests of the child. So they're using their own biases and perceptions and relationships with the judges or other attorneys. I mean, they, I mean that, that plays in a lot. And they make recommendations to the court as to what they think is the best interest of the child. Now, the courts usually go along with the GAL. Because you think, well, you know, the GAL, but they, they, this is their recommendation. You know, they did, they did a, an investigation as to what's in the best interest of, of, of the children. Right. So you look at their investigation, and in my experience, 80% of the time is spent with mom, and 20% of the time is with dad. So some of these GALs, I'll get their invoices, and they'll say, you know, uh, call with mom, call with mom, uh, visit the children with at mom's house, um, calls with both attorneys, call to mom, and then uh, visit with dad. And his visit will be 30 minutes where mom's was like two hours. So I'm like, well, are you going to wow. visit with the kids with dad? Or, oh, no, I've already met with the kids. Well, there's a big difference if you meet with the kids with the person we claim is alienating the kids versus if you meet with dad in his environment, you know. And then the, the reports sometimes are ridiculous. Oh, mom has a wonderful house. Um, it's furnished wonderfully. And, you know, then you go to dad's house. Dad's house is plain. Has an apartment. Nothing on the walls. It's so disparaging of everything. Never mind, dad probably paid for everything in the mom's house that, you know, the GAL is, is touting about. And dad got kicked out and he's in an apartment. So, but the problem is, is if you're going to have a garnet litem, there has to be out guidelines of, of what they need to do. There has to be required reading as far as what is in the best interest of a child. So, you know, I was a certified garnet litem. Um, but the funny thing is the judges stopped appointing me because May, perhaps I went a little too in-depth, and there's a lot of judges who don't agree, by the way, with wow. my position that I'm going to start from a place of what's best for the kids is both parents. Because I've been told, well, you can't do that. You're, 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 start, you're applying your bias. You have to that, go in there with, with oh, yes. So, oh, my God. So, you know, craziness. Oh, it's wow. absolute craziness. But, no, my experience with guard items is not good. I've had one 
one very 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 good garnet item who took what we said which at the time sounded outlandish by the way took what mom said and the therapist was of course was against us because she was so ill-trained she never should have been on the case in the first place but this guy at Lightham truly researched everything that we said and at the end of the day really? we proved everything yes and we proved everything with her insistence and ended up getting custody of that little girl oh, away wow. from that mom who had launched the silver bullet but i mean we were we were so far behind the eight ball initially and it was a lot of work but we had a good gal and she called the mom out and she did her research and she, I mean she did exactly what we requested okay. her to do because a lot of GLs won't do that. They'll just do the superficial sort of, well, I talked to the kids and I mean, kids seem happy with their with mom and mom's got a pool and you know dad lives in an apartment. I mean, sometimes it's that ridiculous and that petty. So I am not a fan of garnet items. I think they overcharge. Um, they don't they don't do anything. They're just another invoice for dad to pay. So I guess the main thing on that is if, if uh, from like a client perspective, that's not your go-to. You need to really probably what, work with your attorney. And if, if you and your attorney are saying, hey, strategically, it's a, good, it's a good move, then maybe. But just don't default to that, right? Yeah, don't default to it. And um, some attorneys will say, well, I'm not going to. I don't want to go against the GIL because I don't want to make them mad. Oh, well, man. I mean, if the GAL is going to go against you, but now in nearly every case, um, if the wife or the mother files for a garnet item, I oppose it almost every single time, and I put in my motion exactly why I oppose a GAL. And there was a case we had; it was a couple years ago. I, I I adamantly opposed the GAL, and I listed all my reasons why. And so we had a phone conference about it, and the judge said, "I hear everything you're saying." He said, so if, if these things start to happen, I promise we'll readdress this and you can motion to take the GAL off the case. Well, the GAL gets in there. She does everything I tell the judge she's going to do. Right. So we motion the court and the judge actually moved her off of the Really? Case. Oh, geez. Because as you so, were saying that, I'm like, oh, man, that sounds like that's going to go badly. He removed her off of that case. So another thing is you guys, when you're talking with the GAL, do as much as you can in writing because so many times his dads will come in and say, I don't know what happened. The GAL told me that not to worry, everything was fine, that she thought that I was fit to share custody. Then he get into court and she's like, well, I, I, well, oh, by sharing custody, I meant every other weekend. So, you know, get as much as you can in writing if your states allow recording. I tell my clients, record the GALs because they can be impeached just like anyone else. Also, lawyers don't do this enough. Put that GAL up on the stand and make them justify their recommendation, right? So this right. is someone who is making a recommendation to the court. Enough attorneys don't do this. Don't just let their piece of paper fly through without being questioned. Remember, now this is, it's, it's first of all, it's public record, okay? Most of these cases, if it's divorce or public record, you don't want these allegations out there that are false that go unaddressed. But put that guardian item up on the stand, take her statement, his or her statement, and make them explain it in detail how they came up with that. And then you have evidence that you can show, you can rebut and show otherwise that you disagree with them. But too many GALs get on the cases. The attorneys get afraid of them. I don't want to make them mad because then they'll make a bad recommendation, which they probably will anyway if you're a dad. So, no, get in there and you guys fight. Get in there and fight. Like I tell my clients, you know. We're not signing an ass kicking over to anybody. So when we get a settlement offer from mom's attorney and it says, okay, we're going to offer you every other weekend and you pay us child support by the guidelines. I'm like, I can go to court, get my ass kicked and get that. Right. We're not signing at. So, and if there's a settlement that's given to you that you don't like, that you don't agree with, but your attorney says, well, you need to go ahead and sign this. It's the best, you're, best thing you're going to get. You guys, you can take that and get a second opinion. But if you're not comfortable, or if you have yeah. evidence, or if you don't, you know, make sure you get all this stuff on the record. I, uh, I often say to people on the channel that, especially at the beginning, swing for the fences. I mean, that's your time. You need to scrape out every victory that you possibly can and not agree to, to things you're not – I mean, I, sometimes you just lose, like you said, right? I mean, if you go in and it's like, okay – I swung for the fences and I'm getting every other weekend, you know, but at least you tried. Right? I mean, and I know how hard it is because people are looking at just the thousands upon thousands of dollars that yes. you're just dumping on the ground, not realizing that that if you don't make that do that fight in the beginning, you're I mean, you're going to pay either way. 
I mean, it's either going to be emotional pain or more financial pain. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, because, I mean, I think so many people, so many attorneys, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want, it's like, well, okay, this is basically the standard deal, not even the fair deal. This is the standard. Let's just, you know, okay, it's fine. You know, move on with your life. This is what happens. And they try to convince. I mean, hell, even my attorney, which I thought was a pretty good one, um, there were often times where they were like, well, you should agree with this. I'm like, no, I'm not agreeing with that. I mean, I was the, more of an advocate fighting with my attorney to fight for me. I wish I had somebody like you who, you know, I mean, I might be saying, okay, slow, you know, do we really need to go to war? Yeah. Launch the nukes. You know, I, you know. Some people say, look, it's easy for you to say you're an attorney. You know, it's easy to say, hey, go to court. You know, this is costing money. Look, I, you guys, yeah. I get that. This is a horrible system. It's an it awful system. Yeah. I'm not here to defend any part of it, I, but no one's asking my opinion. They they won't ask my opinion. I've been down at the state house voicing my opinion. And there's a lot of attorneys, by the way, that will that agree with me. They'll send me messages. Uh, they'll shoot me text messages. They'll pull me aside at the courthouse and like you're you're doing awesome. Keep going. Don't 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 let up. I'm like, well, where have you been? You want to come down to the state house with me? They're like, no, 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 no. I'm just yeah. I, I like to stay in the shadows. So you know, you guys, uh, it's, you know, I don't want. Please don't think I'm advocating for the system. I think they ought to take all divorce lawyers out of it. I think it would make things so much better. If they had a presumption of 50-50, remove all the attorneys out of it. Yeah. Um, things would be better. 80% of cases would uh, would just, 80% of the contention wouldn't be there, uh, if not higher. But yeah. um, but don't give up. You guys, don't give up. No, I, I, I'm glad you're saying that, right? And I mean, and I think so many people go into to that career field where it's just like, okay, oh, here's an easy $5,000 for a retainer. And, you know, I mean, I had the mistake where or I've, I've seen this a lot even with myself and my people in my real life, you know, friends who've been through this and obviously through through the channel where, you know, you people think that you're paying an attorney a ton of money and that they're like, basically, we expect every, with what everything you're saying, that's what we expect. We expect somebody who's like, OK, I've hired you. You know, you are my advocate. And it seems like 90 percent of the time or maybe 95 percent of the time, it's not. It's like they're they take your money and they tell you all the sweet nothings that you want to hear. And then they they basically go on to the next client. And then you're like calling like, hey, what's going on? Oh, oh, uh, we're waiting for a callback. We're this, that and the other. And it's just it's frust It's so frustrating. Absolutely. So we are starting to, I'm going to, let me just double check some, I, I have one other question I can't pull up on the screen, but I'm just going to read. Um, one of the other people had said, uh, does vicious cons consent Trump wiretapping laws, assuming the only par other party is your ex and your kids? I don't even know what that means. So do you understand that question? <laughs> I, I don't, but um, there's, you have to check your state law because I know Florida is a two party state where both kids I mean, both kids, both parties have to know that they're being recorded. Otherwise, you can't record. Otherwise, it's illegal. Alabama is a one party state where only one party has to know um, they're being recorded. And that would be you because you're making the recording. So um, but do wiretapping laws come into play? Yeah, they can. But you, you guys be careful, too, because a lot of people will down, download like spyware on their spouse's cell phone and Ooh. If the cell phone's not in your name, you're not the legal owner of that cell phone, then yes, and you, you can be in trouble. Um, hacking into emails has become a big problem, and there is ongoing litigation. Well, there's laws against that now. Hacking into, yeah. There's laws <clears throat> against that. So, you know, if you had access while you were married and then go, you know, going through divorce, you figure out the password and, and log in, right? You, you can expect maybe even a, a federal lawsuit, okay? But when it comes to electronic communications and electronic... Um, um, correspondence they're really cracking down on that because we live in a digital age and everything is is you know there's tons of correspondence I had a woman admit on the stand that um, she had hacked into her husband's email for the sole purpose of well say one of the purposes was to provide her attorney with our communications so and I asked did your attorney know this she said yes <gasps> and and I was like, on the stand in the Oh my God! Stand. It's on a that's, record. There's a lawsuit. That's illegal. Right <laughs> oh my God! Lawsuit going on right now. And in the deposition, oh God. the attorney slides over an email between my client and I. He slides to try to impeach him, and I'm like, well, wait. Well, first of all, didn't impeach him because it was it was absolutely nothing. But it tricked. I was like, oh my gosh, 
Oh my they're god. In our, they're in his email. Well, and it changed the email several times. So yeah, there's there's a lawsuit going on for that right Oh my now. god. I have to interrupt you because we are down to like twenty seconds. So before we close up, how can people find out more information about you? Well, our firm is just protectingmen.com and um, licensed in Alabama and Florida, and we're on Facebook, Isaac Law Firm. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out. This conversation went really fast. Uh, I want to close out by saying uh, thank you to the channel members who make all this possible. I really appreciate your support. I noticed we had another one through the thing. So hopefully, re-listen to this. There was a lot of good information out of this, and I will see you guys on the next one. Take care.